So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend time in verses 1 through 11. Um, before we get started, I'm going to give you a little bit of background um, on what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. So Blake came to me about maybe six or seven weeks ago just to do a little health check, say, how you doing? And during that time, I was going through one of what I would consider the roughest patches of my entire life. Um, it was a very dark time, um, and, you know, we talked about it, and he's like, you know, I was considering asking you to, to preach on this section of Scripture, and this section actually hits on everything I was struggling with. And I was like, well, darn, um, this, this lines up just right. And so I, I talked to my wife. I was like, hey, Blake wants me to preach on, on August 4th. And she was like, well, that's on her wedding anniversary, but if you feel like that's what you need to do, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is big. And so she's actually not here this morning because we have a daughter who threw up at 11 o'clock last night. Um, but she was going to come to support me because of what this uh, message actually means to me and means to us. So uh, it'll get a little bit personal, and you'll, you know, if I choke up a couple times, uh, then you'll know why. Um, but let's start off a little lighthearted, right? Let's start off with a little bit of fun. Um, I've got to ask you a question. Can you think about a time or think about something that you were convinced that you just knew for a fact that something was, and then you find out later that you were wrong? Maybe it's something simple as music lyrics. I know I love to do this thing to, to Jennifer when we're in the car and we're listening to music, and I know she's singing the wrong lyrics, I'll turn the music off mid-song so I can hear her just say the words, and I'll just start laughing. She's like, I hate when you do that to me. And it's just fun. You know, I'm like, well, what do you hear? And she's like, I've always thought it was this. And we listen to it, and then she Googles it, and she's like, oh, I was way off. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, I know for certain that this is to be true, and then you realize, wow, I was wrong. You can have a conversation with a friend. It could be about a movie. It could be about um, a sports stat. And we live in a day and age where it's really easy to just say, all right, let's just Google it. Let's get the answer. We can move on. Um, right then and there, you have that immediacy, and now you know, right? The brain is powerful. The brain is very fascinating, but the brain can also be very misleading. We have about 70,000 thoughts a day. It's like 46 a minute. Okay, you don't have to do the math, but that's a lot. That includes your dreams and everything like that. But sometimes there's things in there that get a little jumbled. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to do a quick three-question quiz for you to see if you remember something, maybe from something in the past, that may not actually be true. Anybody in here Star Wars fans? Just a couple? Okay, maybe you've seen the movie. How many of you always think that Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father? Raise your hand if, that's, if you know that to be a line from the movie. What if I told you that's not true? He never says Luke's name. He just says, no, I am your father. But everybody thinks he says Luke. And we have this idea that I know this is what he says, but if you go back and watch the movie, he doesn't say it. Number two, who's familiar with Curious George? If you're not familiar with Curious George, I don't know what to tell you. How many of you think Curious George has a tail? Now you're getting nervous. You're like, ah, maybe he doesn't. Does he? He does not have a tail. But people could swear up and down. I know in the books he's swinging from the trees. He's doing this. He's doing that. But he doesn't have a tail. Last one. 
This one's my favorite because I fell into this one. Anybody like a kid from the 90s? So I get an idea? Okay. How many of you remember a movie with comedian Sinbad where he's a genie called Shazam? This is a huge following, but the movie was never made. And I could swear up and down I've seen that movie. I can even picture Sinbad in the baggy pants and acting like a genie, but it never happened. And it's called the Mandela Effect, okay? And it's where groups of people swear up and down that they thought something to be true, but it never happened. There's this um, idea that back in the 80s, Nelson Mandela died, but he actually didn't die until 2013. But millions of people thought that he, he died in 1980. But the brain can make you think and feel so confident about certain things that it can affect you and the way you live. Like, these are fun. These are funny, silly little pop culture things. But think about it when it affects you in a more deeper sense, when it affects you spiritually, when it affects you mentally, and when it affects you physically. The brain is powerful. So when you tell yourself you can't do something, when you tell yourself something that you're hopeless, when you tell yourself that you're not going to make it to tomorrow, when others tell you you don't belong, you start to internalize those things. You start to believe them to be true. When you're just listening to the lies of the world, you're listening to the lies of the devil. So let's get into today's scripture this morning and see some real truth penned by the author this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on according to the Spirit. Set their minds on things according to the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Therefore, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Christ community, that is a beautiful truth that we just read through this morning. It's eye-opening to understand the dis difference that comes from being in Christ Jesus to the difference of not being in Christ Jesus. Leading up to this, Paul has been spending so much time breaking down what it means 
to be saved, breaking down what salvation is, breaking down the righteousness of God and the impending doom that comes with sin, that, that death is the, the ultimate end for someone who does not know Christ but lives in sin. But then he spends chapters 5 through 8 talking about the hope we should have and why we should have that hope, helping us understand the reason that Jesus had to come. And so here we are in, in Romans 8, and at the very beginning of Roman 8, Romans 8, it says, there is therefore. So the word therefore implies that it's talking about the things prior to this being said. Saying, look, all of this I'm about to sum, sum up for you. I'm about to summarize all of these things related to justification and what it means to be saved by faith and not by the works and what it means to... Um, experience true salvation and what it means to live in lawlessness and what it means to do all these things. Hold on tight. I'm going to summarize it up for you here in chapter 8. And so we see that he says, there is therefore. And then let's look at verses 1 and 2 specifically. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is huge. This is huge. It's so weighty. Because this is a powerful truth that sometimes we allowed to get pushed aside by some lies. Maybe it's something that, that people tell you and you start to believe that. Maybe it's something else you read outside of Scripture that makes you think, huh, if we call ourselves believers, then I guess that means we're never, ever supposed to sin again. And if we do, then I guess we're not saved. You ever have that thought? You fall into sin, you make a mistake, you mess up, and you tell yourself, you're disgusting, you're sick. You don't deserve Jesus. Jesus doesn't want any part of you, you're unclean. All of those lies might sound familiar to you. You might feel this sense of guilt, shame, Humiliation. Because maybe the world tells you, hey, if you're a Christian, that means you have to be perfect. Hey, if you're, you're a believer, then you can't mess up. The only reason that you can experience no condemnation is because there's nothing to condemn. Therefore, we must, have, we must be perfect in everything we do. But church, there's some flawed human logic in here. It's taking place in our brains. Because the moment we slip up and fall, we begin to question, does God still love me? Am I saved? How long do I, do I feel guilty? How long do I feel the shame of this sin that I've committed? And even ask God to forgive me. Think about how much time and energy we spend on that. We get into a cycle where we start to tell ourselves, I'm not good enough for God. God doesn't want me. I know it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that has to mean I have to be perfect so there's nothing to condemn. But that's not what it's saying. Our limits in understanding 
come into play. We start to think about things in terms of the world and how someone else may react with us if we were to do something to them. If we were to commit the same sin and how it affects another human being, you might have a different result. But with God, it is different. God does not put condition on his love for us. The only condition is that you belong to him. And we see that here in Scripture this morning. It says, if you are in Christ Jesus. That is the condition. No other condition needs to be met for you to experience no condemnation. And then in verse 2 it says, for the law of spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't mean that the, the law doesn't exist, but God supersedes that law for us. Think of it like whenever you go to the airport. So flying terrifies me just thinking about this giant metal tube in the sky at like 30,000 feet and trying to understand how that giant metal tube, I know there's aerodynamics, I know there's jet propulsion and all of that stuff, but then you watch what happens and you're like, we should not be up here right now. Let's just get back down because there's something called gravity, right? Gravity is a law. Gravity, gravity, right? Stuff drops. You're in this giant plane. Stuff drops. That's a law. Why are we not dropping? Because the power of the law of propulsion, jet propulsion and aerodynamics overtakes that and overcomes it. And such is the case here for us. The power of God overcomes the law of sin and death and says, I am stronger and greater than, and I can save you from that. So if you are in me, this no longer applies, and we can overcome it. But yet the world struggles with that. We struggle with that. Depression and anxiety are two of the biggest problems in our world today. Things that a lot of people don't like to talk about. Especially men, I found out. But when I started going through my bout of anxiety that I started having while I was meeting with Blake, I didn't start when I met with Blake, by the way, so don't think that he's the cause of that. It actually started in mid-May. I started feeling funny. I started feeling physically ill. And I started, I started going on the internet. And I started Googling things because that's where we get our answers, right? Not a good idea. Not for me. And then all of a sudden these things started popping up. You might have this. You might have that. Or it might be nothing. But my brain started telling me, you deserve this. You deserve that. So it can't be anything but that. So I started to become fearful. I wasn't sleeping. I became irritable. I became scared to the point that I, I didn't want to go to work, to the point that it was affecting you know, our family and, and wanting to leave the house. And then Blake's like, let's go get some coffee, just out kind of just catch up. And I'm going through this season of life, this, this time. 
And he's like, what, what do you think's causing that? I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like I deserve this. I feel like there's maybe, I'm like, I've racked my brain. There's got to be some unconfessed sin. There's got to be something that God is punishing me for because this is awful. What am I doing? And I'm searching my mind, and I'm like, I've got to figure out how to fix this. But the reality is I was looking on the Internet, and I wasn't looking to God. I was looking to fix it myself instead of giving it over to God. I was expecting God to treat me like a human would treat me instead of the way God wants to treat me. And so it's a big deal for for me to talk about this because my wife came to me. I love her so much, and we are definitely together for a reason to be able to deal with these, these times Um, But after two and a half months of me wrestling with this and fighting this, she goes, Daniel, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Do you not believe what the Bible says? And I say, yes, but, yes, but. And she's like, hey, listen to yourself. There is no but. And so it led me back into the scripture that Blake asked me to preach on. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know I am a follower of Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation. I know that God's promises are true. Therefore, he has got me, no matter what happens. So what if something ends up being true? What does that mean? Am I going to stop trusting him? No. Then what does it matter? I need to understand the truths in the Bible instead of the lies of the world. The worst part of what I was going through was everything that I missed out on for two and a half months. I didn't want to go to my daughter's dance practices. I didn't want to go to meetings. I did exactly what Satan wanted me to do, and that was stay home. Had no impact on anything. He was telling me, get up, I want to use you. You are fine. You are okay. But I convinced myself in my brain that I was not okay. The power of the mind is so powerful that you can actually physically develop symptoms that are called psychosomatic symptoms that you think you have something you don't even have. That's how powerful the mind and the brain and the body are. That's how intricate they are. But we need to keep going to understand a little bit more about why God's promise is so good and so true. So he tells us, hey, don't believe the lies that say you're not good enough. Look, I love you so much that I don't care. I care enough about you that I sent my son to die on the cross for the sins that you have committed, you are committing, and you're going to commit. Because God knows we will never be perfect on our own. We are made perfect and we are perfected. So let's not get those confused. That it's not us creating the perfection. It's God doing that in us through the Holy Spirit that he imparts into our lives. And he knew we needed that. So for that to happen, God had to send his son to die on a cross for us. 
And when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sin. Not just pre-baptism sin. Not just pre-decision sin. Not just sin up to five years after making your decision sin. There's not a limitation. But the world tells us there is because the world only understands the human nature. And humans have breaking points. Humans have limits. God does not. We have imperfect bodies. And we're going to be a work in progress for the entirety of our time on earth. That's what sanctification is all about. And I know understanding His grace is hard to understand. To think that the one who created the world would send His Son in human form and die a physical, painful death on the cross so that we can experience eternity with Him where we will be perfected in our bodies. Mind-blowing stuff. But God knows how hard that is for us to understand. David wrote in Psalm 71, verse 15, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all day, for the number is past my knowledge. I can't even comprehend what is happening, that what you've done for me. King Solomon, supposedly one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth, tried to find satisfaction in so many things, including in his wisdom, and understand all things, but came to the conclusion in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 23 and 24, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? In other words, I'm a smart guy but I can't figure it out. It's beyond me to understand. Because we cannot apply human logic to what God has done. It is so great and unlike anything we will ever see or anything we will ever experience, even in our own families and our closest friends. So we have to be careful. Because we ask, how is this possible? Why would he do this for us? Because the love that God has for us is greater than anything on this earth. And church, he, he allows his son to die on the cross for us so that way we can repent and come to the cross and be redeemed. The ongoing response of a believer should be to repent and sin no more like the woman at the well. When Jesus told her in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, he did not go to her and sin no more or else. He didn't say go and sin no more or else. Go and sin no more, but hey, if you do one more time, you're toast. He was not wagging a finger at her saying, go and sin no more. He was saying, go and be free. Go and sin no more. Move on with your life. I have far more things for you to do. Go and be free. Even Paul admits in the previous chapter, Romans 7, 17 and 18, he says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do right, but 
not the ability to carry it out. He understood his limitations as a man. And saying, my flesh is still weak. But no one would read what Paul writes and says, well, Paul's not a believer. If he says that, oh, he's got sin in, in, in his life. But there's a constant battle of the flesh versus the mind and the spirit that lives within us. It is the ultimate battlefield that we need to fight every single day. The Lord's Prayer, which many of us learn as some of our first, our first prayer maybe. It's either that or food, right? Um, Lord, give us this day, our daily bread. Just give us the ability to get through right now. Take it a day at a time. And God says he shows us new mercies every day. It's not an accident. But the world will tell you you're not good enough. The world will tell you. Satan will tell you all of these lies. So that way you are not doing what God had asked. He has no reason to put those thoughts in the minds of someone who doesn't believe him. He's already got them. But for the believer to be impacted, the, the people that wage the war with God to affect them, that's where you can really get in, get in our heads. So don't believe lie number one because it can hold us back. You know, this series about nothing, today we're going to talk about the fact that nothing can hold us back. The only things that can hold us back are the lies that we tell ourselves. Starting with that one. One of my favorite songs, I love to listen to it. I listened to it on the way over here this morning. I'm a huge Christian rock fan. Okay? One of my favorite bands is a band called Disciple. They had a song come out in early 2000s called Dear X. And you may be like, I have no idea who that is. I have no idea what that song is. That's okay. I'm going to sing it. No. Um, but there's a part of that song that says, you don't own me anymore. Go ahead, put a gun to my head. You've got no bullets. Talking about anger, shame, guilt, pain, all of these things. But he, he's singing and screaming out to the devil and said, you don't own me anymore. So go ahead, pull the trigger because you have no ammo. It's an empty threat. And that's all these things are. These are empty threats. There's no ammunition. There is no power in these lies. But we are the ones who give it the power over us. When the reality is God is more powerful than anything that can be brought against us. God is more powerful than our worst sin. The worst thing that we can do, God is more powerful than it. He has no ammunition. He's got no bullets and when we start to realize that and we start to understand that, the next time that it happens, it becomes a little bit easier to say, you know what, you've got nothing on me because God has forgiven me. Not only has he forgiven me, he's chose to remember it no more. It's a promise. Just like the promise that there is no condemnation. When he says that he sends it as far as the east and from the west, that's one of my favorite verses of scripture because you think about it geographically and you think about a globe. Why did he say as far as the east is from the west instead of the north from the south? There's a reason. So if you think about a globe, if you were to go south, would you eventually end up going north? Think about it. You would. You would. 
You get to the South Pole, guess what? You have to go up if you were to keep following it. So you'd come back to it. You would come back to wherever it was that you started. But if you go as far as the east is from the west, you're always traveling east. Or you're always traveling west. You can always go in that direction. Now you may go over that same place, but you're not going in the... You're continuing east, you're continuing west. You will never eventually cross from east into west or west into east. It's impossible. Think about that afterwards. Just go get a globe. It's kind of... Keep going, all right, I'm still going in the same circle, still going in the same circle, still going in the same circle, still going east, still going east. Switch it, still going west, still going west. But if you go north to south, guess what? South, oh, I'm going north. But he says as far as the east and the west, meaning they will never see each other. God tells us over and over in Scripture and give us promise after promise that you are indeed free, but we live as if we're shackled. That's line number one we need to get past. Just in those first couple verses, it's huge. There is no condemnation. But the truth is that if we are a believer, then we have received grace. And grace trumps that lie. Grace is what gives us the ability to move past it. Grace is the ability to hate the sin, but still be able to press forward. So let's move on to lie number two. If we continue on in Romans, a lot of people may begin to ask this next question. So if God forgives and God allows me to to move on, then we can just do whatever we want. Party time. Because, hey, God will forgive me. I know it says not to do this, but hey, guess what? God will forgive me. Outright defiance is not what God means. But the world will tell you that. Hey, guess what? Jesus died on the cross for you, man. It's all right. Just do what you want to do this weekend. Sow those wild oats. Go out and party. As long as you get to the, you know, you go over and you say that prayer and you say you're sorry, just, just make sure you cover yourself each time so you don't lapse. No. That's a lie. And that can hold us back as well. Just as much as the first lie can hold us back from doing what we want to do because we become stagnant, we become quiet, this holds us back because it sends us in the other direction. The first one stops us, the second one sends us backwards. Not only does it hold us back, it pushes us down. Because if you continue on in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what does that mean? Doesn't that mean back to the very first thing? We have to be perfect? No. It says 
if our mind is on the spirit, we have life and peace. But we also have to remember that we still have fleshly bodies. We are still going to be a work in progress. As a matter of fact, the fact that we have that desire to do God's will, the desire to do right when we do mess up, and the Holy Spirit convicts us to repentance, that is a fruit of of being a follower of Christ. That desire to not do that again, that what have I done, that sense of guilt that that we feel exists so we can repent and not do it again, hopefully. But he doesn't want us to live in guilt. He wants us to be convicted so we can repent, go back to where we need to, which is the cross, and we can continue to press on. So where is your mind focused? So if you have the mindset, well, I can just do whatever I want, that is not having your mind on the Spirit. Now, we will have moments of lapse, and we will have times where we fall short. But if we don't even have a desire to live for the things of God, we have to check our hearts. And we have to ask, do I have the Spirit to begin with? The idea that we could live a life of hedonism and do whatever feels good is contrary to everything we read in Scripture. We are called to constantly deny ourselves, put our old life to death, and live a new life in Christ. This says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not say there is no condemnation for all. So the process of sanctification means we become more like Christ in our approaches and our thoughts because our mind is set on him. Although we are still weak, it says in in verse 3, God had to do what was weakened by the flesh because the flesh could not do what God needed done. So the process of sanctification means we become more like Christ in our approaches, our thoughts. It's flawed. We are flawed. Church, we need to get comfortable with the fact that we will never be perfect in our eyes. We will never be perfect in the eyes of the person next to us. God sees into our soul. God sees our spirit and says, you have been made perfect. You have been covered by the blood. You're going to mess up. So get comfortable with the fact that we are going to mess up, but never get comfortable with sin. Never get comfortable with that. Think of it like a, a new parent. Think of it like a new parent. How many of you have kids under the age of two? So there's a few of you out there. I know based on back that there's tons of little kids running around. At one point, those kids could not run around. Do you, don't you miss those days? I do sometimes. My, my three, soon-to-be four-year-old is, she's really fast. She's deceptively fast. but she had to start learning to walk. How many of you remember when your child took their first step? Your first one, your second one, it doesn't matter. When they start to walk, she remembers. When they take their first step, do they just say, oh, we're off and running, let's go? No. You look like a deer on ice, right? There's a lot of wobbling, and you fall down. The baby falls down. As a parent, do you yell, that's terrible. Get up. Do it again. Just like the coach in Miracle, again. Again. No. 
You say, oh, that's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. Get back up. Keep going. Every time we fall and we get back up and we take another step, a second step, a third step before we trip and fall again, God's saying, you're moving forward. Keep going. Keep trying. He champions us. We come to him. We say, God, I'm sorry. He's like, all right, now let's keep going. Go farther this time. One more step. Another step. Where the world says, you better not trip again. You better not fall again. Our God is like us as parents. I'm so proud of you. You've you've made it so far. Keep going one day at a time. So never get comfortable with sin, but always try to press forward and follow the will of God. The fruit of repentance shows our hearts. 2 Timothy 2 verse 25 says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Repentance doesn't just absolve us of our sin, but it also teaches us something. It allows us to learn something new that we then internalize and say, I, I don't need to do this again, and here's how, I can, here's how we can do this. Here's what God's Word says. Knowledge is power, just like the, the reading stuff I, I remember reading as a kid. But God's saying, when you repent, you can learn something. We learn from our mistakes, and we work not to do them again. David, the psalmist, says in Psalm 3.3 that he lifts our heads. You see, after we mess up, our first thought, yes, we feel guilt and we feel shame, and that's expected, that's necessary to get to the point of repentance. And then once we repent, God's like, all right, hey, do you not believe the promise that you're not condemned? Let's go, let's go, I've got stuff for you to do. While we're just kind of sitting over in a corner like Eeyore and really just depressed and like, I can't believe I did that. And God's like, hey, move on, let's move on, let's go. You've learned something, continue to learn, let's continue to grow. Because if you don't, it'll snowball. And the next thing you know, it'll be two and a half months later. And you're like, where did those two and a half months go? And then the next time we'll be like, man, it's been a year. And the next time it gets to be two years. What is going on? What is happening? Because we're not realizing the truth of God. Yes, we feel grief for our sin, but we also need to understand that God does not want us to wallow in shame forever. Because it tells us in Hebrews that there, there's a reason that Jesus died on the cross despising the shame. He not only took on our sin, he took on our shame as well. He took on how we feel. It says despising the shame. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It doesn't just say he endured the cross for our sin. He endured our shame as well. So line number one is that you, you know, you must be perfect or else you do not know God. You do not deserve to to participate in Love Shelbyville Day. You do not deserve to even be in church service. You do not deserve this. Do not deserve that. Even after repentance. Line number two says, well, then go ahead and do whatever you want. Also a lie as we see here in Romans chapter 8. Line number three. If you don't know Jesus right now, hey, it's too late for you. You're too far gone. You've done too much. 
If you don't come to Christ at the age of, by the age of 10, you are a lost cause. You've done too much. Your past is too big. Your past is too heavy. There was somebody I was talking to a while back who said that he didn't know that he could come to Jesus as he was until he heard it preached. He thought he had to be at least so good or at least at a certain point. And it took hearing God's promise that I want you as you are and I can overcome whatever your past is to know that God is bigger than his biggest sin. And the world will tell you, hey, what are you doing in church? I know what you did when we were in high school. What are you doing in church? What are you doing participating in, in Love Shelbyville Day? I know what you did last Thursday. You don't know Jesus. You could never know Jesus. The big, that is one of the biggest lies with the biggest consequence. So many feel so much shame and guilt over their past, or even their present, that they feel unworthy and unable to ever get to the point where they are ready to receive that free gift from God. They want the freedom. They desire it. Maybe you this morning, you want it, you desire it, but you just don't feel like you're good enough. But guess what? That's a lie. I am here to tell you this morning that could not be farther from the truth. So let's look at the end of this section this morning. Verse 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you see here that says the Spirit brings life to our dead, sinful bodies? We all come from the same place. We all come from a spiritually dead place. Whether it's at the age of 10 or 80, Before we are believers, we're on equal footing. doesn't matter how much bad past we have. Bad past is bad past. Sin is sin. Death is deserving. And that wall that separates us and holds us back. But, it says here that God takes that and imparts the Holy Spirit into our lives and makes us righteous. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. At the end of verse 11, it says, we'll give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So you say, man, I'm, I'm really dead. Really messed up. It's okay. The power of God can clean that up. And can impart righteousness to you and will dwell in you. And then, and then, all of a sudden, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 will apply to you as well. No longer be held back by the world telling you you don't belong and you're not good enough. Come to Jesus today so that you can experience Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then, we're on equal footing again as believers. 
as saved believers who receive mercy, as imperfect people saved by a perfect God. Because the world will tell you, hey, you, you call yourself a Christian, you're pretty far behind the curve. Look at all those people that, that are in there doing better than you. The world wants you to feel judgment. The world wants you to feel like an outcast. But God says, come to me. And I will take your burden. Take my yoke and I will take your burden. When it says, come and take my yoke, it's saying, hey, follow me. Do as I I'm going to direct you. That means all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is controlling our mind just as it says here in Romans 8 and we will desire the things of God and He will carry our burdens. So don't believe the lie that it is too late for me. Believe the truth that nothing is impossible for God. Absolutely nothing. Let him take the shackles off. Feel what it's like to truly run. Feel what it's like to truly live. Feel what it's like to truly dance. Feel what it's like to truly feel joy. I'm not saying that being a follower of Christ is easy, but whenever you have these promises, you can get back up and you can continue to fight because you will win in the end. Following Christ every day can be tough. It is difficult. There are struggles. You will have moments where you will stumble and fall, but God is the lifter of our heads. He tells us if we are free, then we are free indeed. Do you believe that this morning, church? If you are a believer, are there things going through your mind right now that are holding you back? Things that you're holding on to from your past from years ago. Maybe something that you're holding on to from last week and unwilling to let it go, even though you may have brought it to the foot of the cross and said, God, forgive me. In honest truth, you said, God, forgive me. But you still feel the guilt. You still feel the shame. Believe the promise. Believe the truth of that, that shame died on the cross with Jesus. And he is ready for you to join him on the front lines of the battlefield. He wants to equip us. He wants to use us. And he loves us. And he is ready to pick us up and say, hey, keep going. Or are you believing the lie and it's holding you back? Or are you saying, you know what? I've been taking way too much advantage of, of who Jesus is. I've been taking this repentance and forgiveness thing as a joke. My mind's not been right. It's time for my mind to get right. And say, I need to follow the will of God. Because then, I can feel what it's like to not have true condemnation. Because it's not too late for me. If you are here and you are breathing this morning, it is not too late for you. There is no next step you have to do before you can come to Jesus other than cry out to Him. In just a few minutes, whenever we have our time of communion and offering in the back at the, um, at the buckets, there will be people around the back of the room that would love to talk to you about that next step. Not to wait for you in judgment, but to wait for you with open arms to tell you about this loving Jesus that does not want you to experience condemnation.
I encourage you to not wait another minute because we are not promised tomorrow to go back and talk to somebody. For me, when I was dealing with my struggles, you know, I finally feel like I've, you know, God has gotten me through this storm, but it wasn't until I started to talk that I started to get better and didn't just hold it in trying to figure it out for myself, trying to get the answers to myself. Don't be afraid to open up and talk and say, hey, I'm coming from a dark place. If you're saying that, that Jesus will, will take me in, I, I'm ready. You have that opportunity this morning. You have the opportunity to say, I'm no longer going to believe this lie. I'm no longer going to be held hostage by these things. If we can get past that, can you imagine how effective we can be for God? Can you imagine what it will be like when we're not spending days and weeks in shame and in guilt over that past event that God has forgiven us for? May we constantly be reminded every day of the new mercies that He imparts on us. And if we are repentant, He is good on His promise to forgive us and say, let's move on. Let's keep pressing forward. Would you pray with me? Father God, You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You are all-present. You are everything. Your power is seen in every aspect of our lives. The fact that you created this universe shows how powerful you are. And to think that there could be something that, that you can't handle is a crazy lie that the world wants us to believe. There is nothing you can't handle. There's nothing you're not ready for. You're waiting with open arms for all of us. God, as we reach out to you this morning and we, we lift up these things that are our barriers each and every day that have been holding us back. Maybe it's been holding us back for years. May we hand those over to you for the final time that we've been saying, yes, I believe that when I ask for repentance for this, I can move forward and trust in the promise that there is no condemnation for those that are in your name. May I follow after your heart May we live for you daily, knowing we are not perfect, we cannot be perfect, but you have made us perfect. And it is all coming back to you. God, help us to break down those lies. Help us to not let anything hold us back. And God, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you, do not let those lies hold them back any longer. Urge them in their hearts to make that decision to talk because there's not a price that can be put on no condemnation for those who are in your name. There's no price that can be put on the precious blood of Jesus. It is priceless. And God, we thank you for that grace and mercy which we will never fully understand. Can only hope to understand a little bit more each day. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.